0: Indeed, it is you that has given us life, and we return praise to you. You are great. You are worthy of our praise. Uh, Lord, we've come with different needs today, but our greatest need is to meet you, to glorify you, to worship you. So, Lord, as we open up your word now, we pray that you would draw us to Christ. I pray that uh, he would become big, that our problems would become small. Uh, We praise you for your people, that we can pursue you together. So help us now through your spirit, Lord. Open your word to us, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. Well, good morning. It is so good for me to be here. Uh, Thank you for uh, having me today. Thank you for leading us in music. And uh, I just want to pause before uh, we open up God's word today just to thank you for your ministry to us. Uh, As has already been said, we are a church plant in Liberty Village. If you don't know where Liberty Village is, uh, if you just keep going all the way down... uh, Bathurst to the lake and uh, turn west a little bit. We're right down there. Uh, You can tell you're in Liberty Village because it's condoville. It's like all condos, 100% condos. And uh, for almost 10 years now, we've been planting a church there. Uh, Some of the challenges there are just that people move every year or two. Very mobile community. So people come, people go. Last week, we said goodbye to a couple that have become very close to us. And that just feels familiar to us. It just feels like God gives us people for a while and then they move on. And, uh, it's also very expensive as we were talking about. I was talking about with a friend here, uh, everywhere is expensive, but that's a very expensive area, but God has been good. Uh, I could tell you stories of just different needs that we face right now with, uh, new people coming in who are going through divorce or have been divorced or, are hurt who are seeking God. Uh, I met with a, I'll just tell you one. We met with a woman the other week and, uh, she's got a complicated history. She came to our church. uh, she had been running away from God and she said, okay, I think I just want to see if that was right. I've had this hunger for God and she's been coming. And, uh, the real question she's been asking is, uh, I was divorced. Is there hope for me? Can I be remarried? And I met with her last Sunday with Charlene in a coffee shop in Liberty Village. And she said, can I just put that aside over here for now? I want to switch my question to this. I need to get right with God. And before I can look at, you know, my future remarriage or whatever, I just need to know is Jesus who he says he is. Uh, So would you pray for her? That just feels like a microcosm of uh, our life. It just feels exciting and challenging and we need God to move. I want to thank you for your partnership. You've been faithful partners with us. And I want to thank you in particular for, uh, your pastor, not just your financial support, not just your prayer, but your pastor, because I met with him, I think last summer. And he said to me, do you ever feel this? And he just went down the list. Have you ever, Daryl, have you ever felt like, and he just went through the list and I'm like, Paul, how did you know? And he said, well, because I've been there, um, the experience in Japan. Uh, so your ministry, both, uh, I guess in three ways, financial prayer and through him has just meant the world to us. So thank you for that. Um, I want to tell you this morning, something that you might've forgotten. Your brain is amazing. Does not that feel good to be told that? Is there anybody here saying, I know I've been telling people and then nobody listens. My brain is amazing. Your brain only weighs three pounds. Now, I I used to say, like, I want to know how they know that. I, then I realized, actually, I know how they knew that. I don't want to think about that too much. It is a spongy mass of water, fat and protein. And here's the amazing thing about your brain. It is more complex than any known structure in the universe. Think about that. It contains billions of cells, approximately a hundred billion neurons. And right now every moment actually awake and asleep information passes through your brain. You think at speeds of up to 250 miles per hour. Your brain right now is building an image of the world from photons and electrons, light and dark molecules and motion. And it it connects it with what you remember, need, and want. And so this, this morning, uh, we sang a song, turn your eyes upon Jesus. And I was taken back immediately to an earlier rendition of that chorus when I was a child. And all of a sudden it was in Ottawa. I still remember that that's been buried for years and that my brain has stored that and it came flooding back this morning. Your brain is not just a computer or even a supercomputer. It is a collection of computers. It handles your cognitive processes it stores memories it is the seed of your emotions the human brain is unique the human brain has allowed us to invent the wheel design semiconductors build the pyramids paint the sistine chapel compose symphonies and land on the moon and despite all the research that's going on there's still so much that we don't know about the human brain well if we're going to live well. Part of what it means to live well in this world that God has created is to learn, to live well with our brains, to look after them. But here's the challenge. Has anybody found it's harder than ever to look after your brain? Has anybody found that? I found that Cal Newport has written about something called brain hacking. That sounds like they attach probes and it's actually not that complicated. Here's what pro uh, brain hacking is. Social media, for instance. Does anybody ever feel that surge of pleasure? Somebody liked my post, somebody, uh, I got a new friend, I got a new follower. Well, they say that, uh, the, the way that, uh, the scientists work in Silicon Valley is they understand that certain things give us dopamine and they understand that actually, if it's a little bit random, that it actually jolts our dopamine, we look, there's nothing. We're like, oh, you know what, I'll look in three minutes. We don't even think that. We just put it away. Three minutes later, we pull it out. Somebody likes something. Facebook is so smart uh, that they figured out that actually sometimes uh, you're there, nobody liked anything, and a second later, they give you that notification ping, and you look, and nobody's done anything. Facebook has decided we better give them a little bit of a dopamine hit. And we just get this pleasure chemical that keeps us addicted to our phones and computers. Now I know we're not mice or rats, but dopamine is such a powerful chemical that rats ignore sex and food to keep getting a little hit of dopamine. They will walk along an electrified grid, getting painful shocks with each step to get to the other end and get that dopamine hit. And that's exactly what happens to us online. It's a compulsion. Somebody said, even a distract an addiction. As one person said, we are the most distracted generation in human history. And you might be there saying, okay, well, I thought this was a sermon. Where are we going with this? The results are not great. We're talking about our brains and how to manage our brains. This amazing creation. God has given us. What does all of this do? This is a new challenge that we haven't no other generation has faced until now, by the way, if you're here and you're not on social media, you can sit there. Or if you don't have a cell phone, if you're one of these people, that's gone back to a flip phone, you can sit there like just saying, yeah, everyone else needs to hear this. But for most of us, this is the world in which I live. The more addicted studies have said that you become to your phone, the more prone you are to depression and anxiety, the less able you are to concentrate at work and sleep at night. The irony is we look for connection. I'm on social media because I've got a grandchild who lives actually very close to here and I can't get enough of seeing him. I get the thing that gives me a dopamine hit is seeing a picture of him. He's super cute. And yet here's the reality. Seeing him doesn't give me the connection with him that I long for. Despite being connected online, we're more lonely than ever before. And as somebody said, spiritually, we are the most distracted, Uh, the more distracted we are digitally, the more displaced we become spiritually. And all this is to ask, uh, what do we do about this? What do we do about this? Someone tells us, I think what we're supposed to do with this. Today, I want to look at a practice that is more crucial. I believe today than ever. It has always been crucial, but the more complicated and distracted society becomes the more crucial this becomes as we begin to look at Psalm 1 if you have it with you if you have a Bible or a uh, phone or whatever it is where you're going to access the Bible I want you to turn to Psalm one. I really believe that there are some habits that every Christian needs to cultivate in order to grow there are some things that God has uh, given us that are a means of pursuing him and Today, we're going to look at one of these habits. As we look at this, I, I want to say this is crucial. This was written in a, a di- very different age than the one in which we live. When the psalmist wrote this, there were no cell phones. Uh, there were, it was a vastly different world. And yet Psalm 1 gives us a window into a certain habit, a certain practice that we need to cultivate as followers of Jesus Christ. And it's this to curate what goes on in our mind. Someone is going to uh, tell us that we need to eliminate. Curation means we need to eliminate some things. You know, if you go to the Royal Ontario Museum, there are so many displays. And one of the jobs of the museum curator is, he's got to decide there's more things actually tucked away than there are on display. And the curation has basically said, okay, this is what matters. This exhibit here, that's going to go in the basement. That's going to go like in... The six basement, like where nobody's going to see it for years. And someone is going to lead us to say, what do we need to get rid of in our lives? And by the way, I've been talking about phones. I have my phone over there. I didn't bring it up with me, but I am not getting rid of my phone. When I get in my car, I'm putting on a podcast and it's going to tell me where to go because I've got to go somewhere this afternoon. I I love my phone. I'm not going to get rid of my phone, but we need to actually get rid of the things that are distracting us there. We need to make sure that it's serving us in our spiritual growth. But Psalm one tells us not just to get rid of certain things; it actually tells us to build certain things into our life. And so, I want you to look at Psalm one with me, and as it tells us what to actually add to our lives and what to remove from our lives. Psalm one, verses one and two, says this: "Blessed is the man, the woman." The man there is, is applies to uh, both genders. Blessed is the person who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. As we look at Psalm 1, I want to remind you the obvious. Uh, I want to remind you the obvious because I sometimes forget the obvious. This is not just another psalm this is actually the first psalm this is the gateway to the entire psalter and psalm one along with psalm two orients us to what is to follow the 150 psalms and psalm one begins by telling us how to be blessed how to find a sense of happiness the word blessed uh, if i say have a blessed week or whatever you think well that's just something that religious people say uh, actually blessedness refers to a deep sense of happiness and well-being that flows from a sense of rightness, that things are well. And Psalm one is a gateway to the good life. Psalm one is introducing us to, uh, the 150 Psalms. And it begins by by saying, do you want to live a blessed life? Do you want to live a life that is rightly oriented to God so that you thrive, that you can actually enjoy life? Well, Psalm one introduces us to how this is going to happen. And it tells us two things that we need to do. Here's the first one. Avoid what is opposed to God. Psalm one verse one, we've just read it. It gives us a progression and it's realistic about the way things work. It says, blessed is the man. And then it gives us some things that we should avoid doing who does not walk in the way of the, in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. I love the progression here. It's so realistic. First we walk, and then we stand, and then we sit and take permanent residence in evil. This includes thinking, behaving, and belonging. It's in that order. First we think, and then we behave, and then we actually sit and become something. It's gradual. It doesn't happen all at once. It happens without us even realizing it's happened. And the psalmist says, be careful. I was in Florida the other week. Uh, It was just short enough to be frustrating. The weather was glorious. uh, And it was snowing back here, so we enjoyed it even more. And one night we went out for uh, dinner. And have you ever gone out for dinner? And you have these plans of we're going to eat this dinner and then we're going to go for dessert. Well, we get to the end of dinner and we're stuffed. It was amazing. And so we planned to go for ice cream. There was an ice cream place that uh, my host had said we're going to go to. And at the end of dinner we said, you know what, like, it's full, can we just go home? And he said, you know what we're going to do? We're just going to go look. We're going to drive by the ice cream place. And immediately I knew we were not going to be driving by the ice cream place. Can you guess what happened? Do you think we just drove by the ice cream place? Oh, there it is. You know, like, look at the lineup. That's amazing. No, what he said is, you know what, we're going to drive by the ice cream place. Next thing I know, he's pulling in and he's parking at the ice cream place. Now, who here thinks that we just parked And, you know, pretty soon we found ourselves in line at the ice cream place. Now, I love window shoppers. Uh, I love the whole idea. I've never been to an ice cream shop and window shopped. You know, I'm looking through those things, and pretty soon I got a sample. And uh, pretty soon I got a second sample. Pretty soon I've got, I mean, I exercise great self-restraint, a single scoop of ice cream. There's almost a saying here, you know, how do you get from the place where you're like, I'm stuffed? There's no way that I could ever do that. It's, it's like I'm being gluttonous today. How do you get from there to having an ice cream scoop in your, like a cone in your hand? Well, it's gradual. First you drive by it, and then you stop, and then you get out, and then you look, and then you line up, and pretty soon, before you know it, you're eating the ice cream. And the psalmist is saying, that's how it happens with the things that draw us away from God as well. It doesn't begin with actually one big step. It begins with a gradual uh, step-by-step walk to allow this into your life. The psalmist says, he's pointing us to the reality that what we let into our life, our media, our relationships, our influences will affect the direction of our lives. Uh, First, we say, you know what? I'm going to watch the show. I know I'm not going to get carried away. Or or first, I'm going to listen to this podcast. Or first, I'm going to... Uh, join this group of people, but I'm not going to go all the way. I'm not, I'm not going to sin. And before we know it, we've, we've actually gone from, uh, walking to standing to sitting. Be careful friends about the influences you let into your life, because you will begin to pick up their perspective. You will begin to see things their way and it will shape their lives without even knowing it. Let me ask you a question this morning because this is such an important principle. What kind of inputs are you allowing into your life that are opposed to God? Many of us think that we can allow them and control them, but here's the reality. Uh, the psalmist says that they will influence the way you think and ultimately the way you live. And so what is it? I understand we live in a world full of influences. We cannot, we, we cannot shut ourselves from the world. We're going to be influenced by the world. But what books are you reading? What entertainment are you watching? What perspectives are you picking up that are opposed to God? And you think, well, I'm, I'm not going to go all the way. I'm just going to absorb part of it. What things are actually changing the way that you think so that you're thinking less Christianly? You're thinking less shaped by God's word and more according to these things. And this almost says be careful because it's going to be a gradual thing. It's going to be step by step by step that you're led away. Take this seriously, take action. Your walk with God depends on it. So avoid what's opposed to God, Uh, take it seriously. Don't be casual about this. It's going to shape how you think. But then the flip side in verse two is this here's that was what we negatively should stop doing. What should we actually fill our minds with? Well, verse two tells us the positive step that we can take. Delight and meditate. Delight in and meditate on God's word. Get rid of all these things that are pulling us away from God. The alternative in verse 2 delight in and meditate on God's word. Verse 2 says, His delight, her delight, is in the law of the Lord. On His law, He meditates day and night. The psalmist tells us not just to read, Uh, not just to study or follow a Bible reading plan. The psalmist tells us the way to thriving is actually to delight in God's word. Pay careful, diligent attention to God's word to the point where it actually becomes a delight to you. Uh, The law here uh, is a broad term. It can specifically refer to the law of Moses Uh, at our church in Liberty Grace church this year. We're studying through, uh, I don't know. uh, It's a crazy idea. We're like, We're going to study from Genesis 1 to Revelation. We're taking like uh, this year. We're doing the whole Bible from cover to cover. And we've just finished the law. And I'll tell you, it's amazing. A lot of our people, uh, if they know anything about the Old Testament, they think it's dry and dusty and remote. And they think the God of the Old Testament is this harsh God. We've been reading it. and, And I keep reminding people the God of the Hebrew scriptures has not changed. He's the God of the New Testament. One God. And if anything, the God of the law is a God of, Amazing patience and grace. And the Torah, the law that uh, the psalmist is referring to here, he's saying, it is delightful. It is amazing. I can't get enough of it. Broadly speaking, it refers, I think we can take it to refer to all of scripture, that we actually learn to delight in all of God's law. This is the antidote to all the negative influences that he's talked about in verse one. Instead of filling your mind with worldly influences all the time that shape your thinking delight in and meditate on god's word continually Now, this is not just reading it quickly this is about actually um, filling your mind so much with god's word that it actually becomes the dominant influence and delight of your life all of us uh, have our mind go in different directions when you're sitting down. Uh, I'll sit down. I drive my wife crazy because I'll sit down with her and uh, she'll be quiet. And I'll say, what are you thinking? And it's always interesting to find out what she's thinking. Sometimes she says, would you just leave me alone? and let me think without always asking me what you're thinking. But you know, what is it that your mind drifts to when you're just sitting alone? The Psalmist says, let it be God's word. Let increasingly God's word be when you're sitting at a stoplight, when nobody's with you, Instead of turning on whatever a podcast or, you know, when you're just sitting there, when you wake up in the morning, what's the first thing that comes to mind? And the psalmist says, well, basically the way to the aspiration of, of the follower of God should be that God's word becomes the thing that our minds drift to. As Don Carson says, you wake up in the middle of the night and your mind is so full of God's word that it just, your mind begins to think about what God has declared. You think of those terms when you see squabbles developing in the church, when you see disputes about how things should be done, you naturally ask yourself, I wonder what scripture says. I wonder what God says about this. Is there some part of the Bible I need to read again here? He meditates on it day and night. I love this picture. Um, He meditates on it day and night. Is that a exaggeration? Is that a hyperbole? Well, it's a figure of speech. Uh, if you say to somebody that you're romantically involved with, with, I think about you day and night. What you're saying is not that you're, I mean, if, it's not like you're, if you're working, you're doing accounting. Of course you're thinking about accounting. But what you're saying is you're never far from your my, my mind. As you're teaching, as you're, uh, whatever it is, as you're working, as you're studying, there's never very far that you have to go to be thinking of God's word. That's what the psalmist is saying. He's saying that God's word begins to permeate everything that you do, that our whole lives are full of scripture. The great preacher, Charles Spurgeon said this, Oh, that you and I might get into the very heart of the word of God and get that word into ourselves. As I've seen the silkworm eat into the leaf and consume it. So we ought to do with the word of the Lord, not just crawl over its surface, but eat it until we've taken it into our inmost parts. It is idle merely to let the eye glance over the words or recollect the poetical expressions or historic facts. It is blessed to eat into the very soul of the Bible until at last you begin to talk in scriptural language. And your very style is fashioned upon scriptural models. And what is better still, your spirit is flavored with the very words of the Lord. He the example of a famous preacher and says that, uh, basically said that guy's a living Bible. Like he's like a Bible walking around all the time. Uh, Spurgeon said, if you pricked him with a pin, the, instead of blood coming out, it would be like the Bible coming out from his, like he's so full of the Bible that it just oozes out of him. He cannot speak without quoting a text. His very soul is full of the word of God. I commend this example to you. Spurgeon says. When I think about this, I've got a friend and he's wise. I was thinking this morning, I went to him for advice. We were facing a really thorny issue. I went to him for advice and he's wise. He's just wise. And he said to me one time, uh, people say to him, like, how did you get so wise? Like people go to him for advice. He's just well-respected and wise. And he said, the only thing I can think of is that I've basically spent the past years memorizing the book of Proverbs from cover to cover. Now I was impressed by that. And then he had to go on and maybe you'll uh, understand that he said, Oh, by the way, in Japanese, like I'm memorizing prop. I'm like buddy, like anyway, it's just like, stop showing off. Like I'm impressed. What is it that makes him so wise? He is filling his mind, not with his own wisdom, but with God's wisdom in proverbs about how to live well and what the psalmist is saying is what if you and i just decided there's a lot of stuff going on in the world our minds are being bombarded with thousands of messages every day what if we actually said it we're gonna delight in god's word we're gonna make it our hobby our obsession to have minds shaped by what god has revealed so that It becomes the dominant influence in our lives. Amazing thing. uh, the psalmist wrote of this, of course, years before Christ, uh, he was looking uh, from a distance. I think he saw faint glimmers of the promises that God had made in the Torah about the coming savior. When I think about the amount of scripture that we have, that what he just longed to look at, what he saw from a distance, we actually have, we have the revelation of Jesus. Friends, when I think of the amount of scripture that we have that he didn't, uh, some of my favorite passages that the psalmist, I think if he had had them, he would have said, look at this. This is, I could only have dreamed of this. When I think of the revelation of Jesus that we have, we've just been singing about Jesus. The psalmist, uh, or Jesus said this, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. They bear witness to me. Friends, when I think about the riches of Jesus, And what he's done for us at the cross, that he bore our sins, that he has lavished his love upon us. That no matter how, and this is good news where I am in Liberty Village, because people have messed up their lives. No matter what you've done, you are not beyond the reach of grace. That there is full pardon available for you. Jesus has paid it all. He has removed your shame. He's taken all that away. He's given you a brand new identity. There's purpose and hope for your life eternally. Friends, when I think of the scripture that we have, that the psalmist didn't have, we have even more reason to delight in God's word than he did. Think about scripture. Meditate on it. Make it your delight. Let it be the truth that shapes you the most. Well, why should we do this? Verses... um, Three and on, the psalmist tells us the result of living this way. He's already hinted at it, hasn't he? In verse 1, blessed is the person who does this. Uh, Again, blessed is you want to live a life that's thriving, that's flourishing. Here's a way to do it. But in verses 3 to 6, he says, here's what's going to happen as you live this way. He is like a tree. The person who lives this way, he is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season and its leaf Does not wither you want the opposite or in all that he does, he prospers. You want the opposite picture. If you don't live this way, the wicked are not so, but they are like chaff that drives the wind away. That the wind drives away. Verse five. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. But verse six, here's what happens as we live this way. The Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. I've been pastoring for a long time now. I've seen people who've withstood losing their spouse, um, losing their jobs, uh, losing everything, uh, losing children. I was, this weekend, I was talking with somebody who lost his daughter. was born with half a heart, and uh, he had to move from Edmonton and um, came to Toronto for a while for her to be treated. She died and passed away. Uh, the most heartbreaking thing I can imagine. I've seen all kinds of believers go through all kinds of difficult things. And here's what I've seen. There are people who are so rooted in what God has revealed. They're so rooted, they built a life delighting in God's law, that even when the worst things happen, they are like streams. They are like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season, and their leaf does not wither. I want a life like that, don't you? I want a life that, a uh, life is hard. I want a life that when the wind comes, the chaff is is blown away if, if we're not doing this. But I want a tree that when I'm so rooted in God's word that when the storms inevitably come, that tree is standing and flourishing. Whatever shapes your thinking shapes your life. If you want a life that flourishes, not an easy life, not a life without problems, but a life that is rooted despite problems. Make God's word, your primary shaping influence in your life by meditating on it. I want to get practical here for a, uh, a minute. Just how do we actually do this? How do we actually begin to build a life that delights in God's word? Well, I want to just say a couple of uh, three obvious things um, that I think are really practical. And I want to say, uh, I always tell our people the minute I lift the finger up from God's word, uh, at every point when I'm preaching, there should be some connection with what I'm saying to what God's word says right now. I'm going to lift my finger from God's word, and I'm going to be giving you, I think, uh, not God's word says do this. Although I think some of it is derived from God's word, but I'm going to give you just practical advice. And because it's not, I mean, let me just tell you the first thing I think that would be helpful and prudent for you to do is get a study Bible. And here, is there a verse that says, get a study Bible? No, but I found in the area where I am, one of the great resources that people really benefit from that just practically helps them is them investing in a version of God's word that actually they can learn to read so that they can begin to delight in God's word. And so what we found over and over again is, you know, people begin to read Bible, they get stuck, they don't know what to do. You can just keep going. I I did that for a long time. Get a Bible. If helpful, get one that's really helpful to help you understand the context of what you're reading. So when you get stuck, you can look at the bottom and get a bit of, it's not God's word, but it can help you understand God's word. If you haven't done that, you might want to ask pastor Paul or somebody here. What is that Bible you use? Uh, Do you have a good study Bible that uh, I could, I really want to get in God's word, but Friends, if you're planning to go out for dinner this week, money is tight. You're going to go out and you're going to get a mediocre meal for $30. You're going to come home and say, that was okay. Take that $30, skip the dinner out this week, get a good study Bible and wear that thing out. Like just demolish it. Like I love seeing people's Bibles falling apart because they're highlighted and um, dog-eared and just been used for many, many years, get a good Bible, whatever that is, invest in it. It will be the greatest investment of your life. Get one. It's worth it. Number two, again, don't forget, I'm lifting my finger from God's word here. I think I'm giving you good advice, but it's not necessarily committed by God. But here's something I found helpful. Number two application, try scripture before phone. Try scripture before phone friends. What's the thing that most of us do first thing when we get up in the morning, most of us have our cell phones right beside us when we're, and the first thing we do when we wake up is what we pick up our phones and we see what Trudeau has done. What Biden has said when he came to Ottawa, he dissed the Toronto Maple Leafs. How dare he? I don't know, but you know, we, we pick up our Facebook. We see who's, we check our emails. In the common rule, Justin Whitmill early suggests that what if we actually said every day when we wake up, the first thing that begins to shape our thinking isn't whatever has happened in the news. It isn't what people have posted on social media, but the first thing that shapes our thinking every day is God's word. And he says this again, it's not a command. If you're not sinning, if you check your phone, I think it's just prudent. He says, refusing to check the phone until after I've read a passage of Scripture is a way of replacing the question, what do I need to do today, with a better one? Who am I? And who am I becoming? Who is God? We have no stable identity outside of Jesus. And he says, daily immersion in the Scriptures resists the anxiety of emails, the anger of news, the envy of social media. Instead, it forms us daily in our true identity as children of the King, dearly loved. What if we just said, as much as possible, I'm going to pick up the Bible before anything else every day. Final, and I think this one might be a little bit more biblical, a little bit more just like I think it comes right out of Psalm one. Uh, learn and practice biblical meditation. Um, final suggestion: get a good study Bible, consider scripture before phone, and finally learn and practice biblical meditation. So you and I are aware that meditation is a big thing these days. You can't find anyone, it seems, who's not into meditation. And usually that involves um, you know, getting an app and somebody says, you know, sit still for five minutes or ten minutes, hear the waves when your mind, you know, all these things, when your mind begins to wander, just observe it, all these things. Everyone's raving about uh this form of meditation that has Eastern influences. In fact, uh, Tim Ferriss, all these secular people are saying, if you want to be a high performer in life, you need to meditate. But what if we actually practice what the Bible calls, or, or I think what Christians have called biblical meditation? Instead of just emptying your mind and stilling your mind, what if you went a step further and said, I actually want to meditate on God's word? Instead of emptying my mind or just observing it, to chew on what Scripture says. As one person said, many forms of meditation today incorporate beliefs and practices from Eastern religions. What if we tried biblical meditation for centuries? Christians have used contemplative prayer, which involves, uh, chewing over a piece of scripture, uh, maybe silently meditating on scripture, mulling over a short section of the Bible. Again, Spurgeon compared this to a dog chewing on a bone. I remember we used to have a dog. I gave it a bone and it would be like three hours. It would just be like gnawing on it and turning it over and then like getting every bit of substance from it. What if we did that with scripture? Just took it and like a dog gnaws on a bone, just turned it over in our heads and thought about it for an extended period of time. A Canadian pastor in London, Ontario says um, that he practices this biblical meditation he says, basically, I take time to be still before God in his presence. And instead of emptying my mind, I fill my mind with thoughts of him from scripture. And I disengage from all the things that I normally would think about and just sit in God's presence thinking about his word. It means taking uh, part of scripture and carrying it with us, memorizing it, chewing on it, maybe just taking uh, a couple of suggestions I've heard is, you know, take your Bible reading. If you do it daily, I hope you build that habit. And just take something that really struck you and think about it all day. Or if you read, somebody just said, you know, read five Psalms and find one that actually expresses what you're going through. Psalms have lots of emotions. Find, read just five every day and go, you know what? I'm feeling that today. Think about that all day. And chew it on it. Memorize it. Think about it. I've got a friend whose uh, wife is struggling with cancer right now. And he says this over the years, he's memorized scripture and he says the blessing of hiding and meditating on God's word has snowballed across decades. So as he's going through this trial right now, he's got a heart full of scripture and he just pulls something out from the memory bank and meditates on it. It could change your life. Friends, what you meditate on is going to, influence your life, whatever shapes your thinking, whatever shapes your brain is going to shape the direction of your life. So make God's word the primary influence on your life by meditating on it. And Lord, we don't want to be shaped by social media, uh, by news, by emails, by ads, by shows. We want to be shaped by you. We want to get our identity from you. Lord, what better news could there be than the news that you have chosen to rescue us? That you launched a rescue plan through Jesus to adopt us into your family. Um, Lord, to um, give us a new identity, to make us part of your family, to love us forever. To take away our sins, to redeem us. Uh, and Lord, your, your word is so rich we could spend eternity, we will spend eternity learning more about you and marveling and worshiping. And so I pray right now in this life, this hard life that you would help us to meditate. I pray you would help us to eat your word, to absorb it, to think about it so that we become trees planted by streams of water, producing fruit in season prospering in all that we do. Uh, Lord, would you bless this church? I pray that as this church is rooted in your word, that it would grow and it would flourish. Fill our minds, Lord, with thoughts of you. We pray this in Jesus' name and for his glory.